It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Counseling On Demand. Here's your own private therapist. Anywhere, anytime. Fred Riley. What is up? How you doing? This is uh, part two of uh, two episodes. This is the second one uh, regarding grief. And uh, this is just a, a set of uh, just a brief overview of some things that are really important with grief and certainly not uh, limited to these two episodes. Grief is uh, something that, uh, I tell you what, has become much more personal to myself, and uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, that's the case. And and I'm learning a lot about uh, grief from my own perspective. I've worked uh, with those that have been grieving uh, from long-term to short-term traumatic uh, incidents, incidents, right? Incidents, and... uh, Tell you what, uh, it uh, it's uh, it's easy to be there for people. Sometimes it's uh, hard to be there for people, but uh, the experience of grief in and of itself, uh, like I always say, it's a very sacred experience and can be pretty challenging. So, how do you grieve? Right, we all grieve differently. We we kind of go in and out of phases. I don't believe in stages necessarily, but uh, I thought you know it'd be a good idea to talk about the way that you respond to grief, especially initially. You know, so often it's the case that from that mourning standpoint, right, from a social realm, we feel like we're supposed to respond to loss in a certain way. Um, it's implied that we need to be strong or that we need to, or that we're suffering, right? Uh, socially, uh, our families, whoever, uh, on the larger area, like the community, uh, people suggest, you know, they say things like, you must be devastated or what have you. Well, we all respond to grief differently. Like I said, we go in and out of phases. But let's talk to uh, let's talk about some ways of grief that uh, we express. And think about yourself. Maybe you're in a place of grief or think about somebody in your family that you're not quite sure, you can't quite understand why they're responding to loss uh, the way that they are. We all respond differently. How are you responding to grief? And again, it's just a place, it's just a moment, and you might switch back and forth. So the intellectual, let's start with that. The intellectual, This I saw this a lot in the ER. One way to deal with grief is uh, we become the informer. Have you ever felt like that or have somebody in your family uh, that becomes the informer? They get very clinical. They uh, they know everything about WebMD and uh, what's going on and why it's going on. This is a comfort measure, right? We don't want to deal with the grief. We don't want to deal with the emotions. And so you might, yourself or others, uh, wax kind of into this intellectual informer realm as a way to kind of cocoon yourself uh, from that feeling. And uh, one of the things I noticed, if you have a group of people, for example, grieving or mourning the loss of a loved one, there is naturally going to be, at the very least, an intellectual. There's always an intellectual uh, that pops up to 
do funeral arrangements, that type of thing. One thing to keep in mind is the intellectual responder to grief is actually the most vulnerable. When I worked in the emergency room, I talked to people all the time about uh, they would say how well somebody was doing, right? Isn't that interesting, how well someone's handling the grief? And uh, they would often uh, say two things about the intellectual. One, the intellectual person must not care, or they're handling things so well. I tell you what, when you're in an intellectual place or someone you love is handling the grief in an intellectual way, uh, watch them close within the next couple of days. The emotions tend to pour in. So that might be a place that uh, you find yourself. Another place that uh, you might see within yourself or those around you as you're working through grief is this role. It's kind of a triple role. I call it the healer, protector, comforter, right? So the healer, protector, comforter, these are those uh, those uh, people that uh, they they want the best feeling. They don't like a good feeling in the group and often are trying to comfort themselves and protect themselves, right, just as much as anybody else. Is that you? What does that look like, right? The healer, the protector, the comforter, right, they seek to reassure the grieving, right? They're not trying to fix anything in terms of, um, you know, being holier than thou or that type of thing, but they just don't like the feeling, so they seek to reassure. They often speak in cliché, right? Those that uh, have experienced grief, that's a that's a tough one. The healer, the protector, they come in and, and uh, speak religious or whatever cliche. And uh, my saying, if you're experiencing somebody that's kind of in that role, uh, what I say is forgive them for they know not how stupid they are. Okay, the idea is they're trying, right? But they don't know how it's received. So it's not a, something that's said in a rude way. It's just something that says, hey, they're trying to do something, but at the moment they have no clue. So they do mean well. They're protecting their own grief, right? So those are some characteristics of the healer, protector, the comforter. Now, think about this. Maybe this is you. Maybe it's somebody in your family. And uh, we've all been uh, in this place at some point in time. But specifically, uh, when death, loss of something, uh, someone or a marriage, you know, when that first comes to fruition, okay, uh, bargainer. A bargainer, uh, this is where we plead to that higher power. And over time, right, uh, we start to get angry with that higher power. And that's a topic in and of itself. I think uh, anger towards a higher power is actually really healthy. That usually gets uh, some eyeballs to widen up. But uh, it's okay to be angry at this higher power because the grief, the loss doesn't match up to uh, the template that we had, as we spoke about before. Okay, so as a as a bargainer, you might uh, find yourself offering blood or kidneys or things, even way after the fact. You might uh, offer all kinds of things to try to keep uh, the chance of this person alive. On a very personal um, level, I'll share with you before we take a break. Um, I did that with my father. He died uh, almost exactly three years ago, and uh, I I bargained. I tell you what. Uh, we went from he's going to be fine uh, to a, a remove a kidney, he's going to be fine and on his way, to in a matter of about oh, 45 minutes, um, he's got a month to live, we can't continue surgery. So that was a big change. And so I keyed in on something that the doctor said, and the surgeon said, you know, the one option, it's an experimental option, 
that uh, we can we have three to six months. Uh, it turned out to be a month. But uh, he said one option is this experimental something. I can't remember what it was. But the key words on that experimental intervention was that he had to gain weight. Guess what? That gave me a window. As a bargainer, I went and I've got seven or eight cans of every flavor, every type of protein, and I was going to fatten my dad up, right? I was not going to let that grief, that loss take place. So I was bargaining. I was trading, right? Uh, Rather than having grief, I was trying to bring to the table, hey, can we put loss and grief off and trade for me using my awareness, education, and time and effort to uh, fatten my dad up? Well, he... uh, I don't recall that we ever opened any of those up. And that, of course, started a different part of the grieving process. So the intellectual, the healer, protector, comforter, and the bargainer, which one are you? Maybe you've been in and out of those phases. Maybe you've seen somebody that uh, is kind of uh, maybe annoying. You don't quite understand them. But maybe one of these uh, uh, responses best helps bring you to an understanding of where they're at. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to follow up with a few more ways that you or others are likely to respond in the place or loss of a loved one. All right. Welcome back. This is Counseling on Demand. This is part two where uh, we're talking about grief. Grief is, I hate talking about grief. I tell you what, uh, it's, uh, it's a heavy thing, right? And uh, sometimes it feels like uh, never ceases to be heavy and somehow we persist. So we've been talking about some possible ways that you may respond to loss. And we're talking about loss of a loved one, a pet, all kinds of different scenarios, as we mentioned in the first episode. So here's a few more uh, common ways that you might find yourself or someone you love um, experiencing grief in terms of, um, well, maybe reacting, right? Remember, responding is something that comes down the road. So the reflector. Reflectors, I tell you what, the reflector is this person that uh, starts to rehearse, right? Starts to reminisce about uh, the days of old and the good old things that so-and-so did. And uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because it can almost seem as if there's no grief there at all. It's almost like uh, someone is uh, making light of the loss of whatever that was. The idea is this is, of course, a coping mechanism. We're reflecting and really, in a way, bargaining to find those good memories, right? Because we actually want to hold on to those good memories. The reflector is often worried that they're going to lose those memories. And so they rehearse them over and over again to lighten the mood, but also for fear of losing and uh, the, the good memories and being stuck with the new memory of that loss. So that's a reflector. Now, the isolator. Isolator, you know, we got to be really careful with isolators. Are you an isolator? Isolators tend to be uh, younger, not necessarily adults. But isolators also tend to be those that have had previous issues with mental health, substance abuse, and so forth. And I tell you what, the isolator is pretty crafty. They find a way to disappear. I saw this over and over again in the ER where there's this group mourning. And I tell you what, you find somebody around the corner and uh, they just snuck away. 
the isolator, right, they're going to withdraw. They're feeling overstimulated. Have you ever had that experience where it's just too much? This happens a lot in grief, right, where there's so much information being brought in. As a matter of fact, information can feel like overload. We don't even hear half of what family says or the doctor says. We just want to step back. We're getting overstimulated. So isolator, uh, they're not really wanting to check out, but they're overstimulated. They're trying to panic in secret, okay? They want to keep this secret panic because they don't want to respond in a way that draws attention. They also are trying to distance themselves at the same time, be present. They don't know how to do that. So the idea is they isolate and kind of, you'll see they get kind of catatonic. They get kind of rigid. They definitely are thinking they're not okay. They're very not okay. And uh, so we need to check in with those folks. And uh, they're going to try to reassure you that they're fine. Uh, because they're trying to keep that isolation. So are you an isolator? Have you noticed maybe a child or a niece, a nephew, brother, sister, parent that uh, tries to isolate a little bit? Um, Be mindful of them. Be watchful. And that's a little bit more of what is uh, going on for them. One more. We'll go. We got a couple more. Um, Let's go with blamer. Blamer, you know, we do not like to lose control. We do not like uh, outcomes that are not within our influence. Have you ever felt like that where you you cannot accept the loss of something, a job, whatever it might be? And that's where we get into this blamer mode. The blamer is trying to get a sense of control of the situation. They're trying to put uh, meaning to it. They're also trying to uh, find others at fault uh, as a way to start this early and reactive process of grief. So the blamer is often going to, right, what do we do? What do you do? We blame, right, physicians. We blame medication, right? Uh, We might even blame a member of the family. I see that a lot. A blamer, uh, they don't want the loss of a loved one, so they might blame the unwatchful son or daughter or something to that effect. Family issues come up like crazy. Drugs, right? The blamer, drugs. Drugs take people over, and uh, often we actually grieve the loss of a loved one to drugs, even though they're alive. They very much are not the same person. So the blamer is going to uh, often bring up drugs, a hatred towards the drugs, and that's okay. Down the road, it goes from a blamer to more of an influencer where they start to fight the drugs. Social issues, social policy, right? The blamer, and that's there's a lot of that going on right now, right, where people are passing away and social policy, uh, pharmaceutical companies and so forth, we're going to blame them because uh, we trust in them, right? We we really feel that sense of loss could have been, uh, could have been uh, negated, right? After all, that's what the commercials say. So then we talk about blaming gun control as well. Right, gun control is a big one. Religion, uh, a lot of those those central issues, and then of course, what we often see, are you the one that blames yourself? I'm working with a young man right now who had absolutely no control over this situation. That uh, is a very private situation, so I'll leave that out. But I tell you what, uh, he is in the dungeon of despair. He is uh, pretty sure that there's blame to be had for this loss and that it's his. He's reflected throughout his whole lifespan to this point. Unfortunately, his whole lifespan is about about 19 years. 
and uh, he is recounting all the things he should have done differently, so blaming himself. Be mindful of that. Do you find somebody that's quiet, maybe isolated? Are they blaming themselves? Are they blaming others? You know, blaming doctors and so forth, it's not a bad thing, right? We're just trying to figure out uh, how to bridge the gap between what we saw in that person or that thing that we loved and the result. So a lot of things that we talked about in the last two episodes. Again, the uh, the idea is we all respond to grief differently. They are not phases that we go through, but not, sorry, I said that wrong. They're not stages. There's this idea of stages of grief. You know, what we do is it's like a bottle rocket that wasn't held very well. We just shoot all over the place. And some of those roles we reviewed today. Are you an isolator? Are you a blamer, a reflector, a bargainer, an intellectual, a healer, right? Take a look at those. Take a look at those around you to better understand why you're seeing what you're seeing. It's all related to the same experience, which is grief. It's just a different way that we handle those things from moment to moment. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on grief. Grief is such a... uh, sacred thing it's a tough thing and even talking about it can be kind of hard reflect on what was said today about grief i am fred riley thank you so much for listening to counseling on demand you can find me online at getting back the number two life.com <laughs>